Well, you know, in the entire history of the world, there has never been another message with the power to completely transform a human life, let alone entire families, communities, even entire nations, like the message that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a message, of course, that has been handed down over the centuries through uh, teachers and preachers and missionaries and evangelists and churches. In fact, it has been handed down through parents and friends and acquaintances, even at times total strangers, all the while revolutionizing countless lives and bringing hope to people in every nation and tribe along the way. The gospel is the most well-traveled and widely disseminated message of all time, and yet before all of that, it was written down by some of the men who were there with Jesus Christ when it was actually happening. And it was written down, of course, not only to preserve the message, but also to be sure that the message as it was being spread was the same from person to person and church to church and community to community all over the world. Otherwise, of course, with the passing of time and cultural variations from one place to the next and differences and worldviews among individuals throughout history, there would be so many inconsistencies in the story of Jesus Christ and what he's done that it, in fact, would become completely ineffective, useless, really, unable to transform anyone and unrecognizable as a coherent story if every time you heard the gospel, it was a different message depending upon where you were and who you were talking to, okay? The gospel of Jesus Christ only works if the message doesn't change. If it's a different story, every time you hear it, then you're building your faith on a shifting foundation. And in the end, that foundation will crumble beneath you. That's why the gospel was written down largely from people who were there so that we could all share the same message across time and geography and cultures and communities everywhere we go. Uh, truly, there is no equivalent to the one true unchanging message that has had the power to utterly transform the lives of men and women regardless of their nation, tribe, a worldview, culture, or community. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means as followers of Jesus Christ, this gospel is our message. It is our creed. It is our truth, and it is the reason that we hope. The apostle Peter, referring to those who were persecuted for sharing the truth about Christ, said this, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord always and holy, Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3, 14 and, and 15. Okay, as followers of Christ, we're not only the recipients of this good news that is the gospel message, but we're also the keepers of this message. It is our responsibility to both share it and defend it wherever we go, which means as Christians, we really shouldn't be confused at all about the actual content of the message 
particularly in an environment which is potentially hostile to the gospel, as our culture is increasingly becoming. And yet I'm not aware of any other time, at least in my lifetime, when there was so many people, I'm talking about professing Christians, who seemed to be just that, confused about the actual content of the gospel of Jesus Christ, although uh, apparently it's not a new problem because as we'll see today, the apostle John was having to confront this very same issue in the first century churches in and around Ephesus, just as we are today in and around our churches in America. And so as we continue our sermon series, working our way through the letters of John, we find the apostle very directly and yet very winsomely, just as Peter instructed, confronting this struggle that was happening within the church where believers were confused about the message of the gospel and their own authority as Christians to defend that gospel and even how to determine uh, who to listen to and who to ignore concerning that message and the distortions of it that were swirling around the church at the time. So uh, this was a real problem then, just as I believe it is today, which makes this portion of John's first letter all the more relevant as our church culture in America has almost reached, I think, a tipping point between some really uh, strongly opposing views concerning this message that is the gospel. And so rather than simply offer my own opinions about some of the competing versions of the gospel within the American church today, I would rather just look at what God's word says on the matter and then draw our conclusions from there instead of, uh, instead of whatever happens to be trending in our culture on either side of those issues, okay? Make no mistake, this is about as important as it gets for your life and for other people's lives because the way that you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ will shape the way that you live your life and how you interact with other people as a representative of Jesus Christ. And yet as much as grace factors into this message of the gospel, uh, there really doesn't seem to be a whole lot of grace extended to those who intentionally misrepresent the message as the Apostle Paul explained to the Christians in Galatia when he wrote, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, just for good measure, Paul says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. That's obviously a strong word from Paul, but it underscores the sober reality of the significance for Christians to correctly understand and share the gospel of Jesus Christ just as it was witnessed and recorded by his first followers. Because as he said, there is in fact only one gospel, 
Everything else is nothing more than noise, a distortion of the real thing. And so if what we're following and sharing with others is another version of the gospel, a distortion of that gospel, then all we are actually doing is following uh, an ineffective, useless message which is unable to transform anyone. It might make us popular in this day and age or in certain circles, but it will change no one's life in the end as we'll see in the events unfolding in our story today. So let's pick up the letter right where we left off last time at 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to simply focus on the first six verses of that chapter today as we learn from him the importance of staying true to the authentic gospel of Christ and how exactly uh, we go about doing that, okay? We'll start by reading the first three verses, 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So just to review, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, there's a group of people in the first century uh, that were being led by a man named Serenthus who professed to be uh, Christians, this group, but they were spreading a different version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It later became known as Gnosticism, which was nothing more than a heretical distortion of the gospel. But as the movement grew, there were other leaders who began to rise up among them as well to the point that they had their own teachers and evangelists and even prophets in this new movement who were leading many of the, the believers away from the faith, all the while claiming to have a new revelation about the gospel that was, according to them, inspired by the Spirit of God himself. So John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. In other words, hey guys, I love you. So listen to me. Don't believe everything you hear. Just because someone says they've heard from God or that they've figured out a new way of understanding the teachings of Jesus, that doesn't mean you can trust what they're telling you. And in fact, John says there are many in the church who are now teaching a false gospel, a new version of the gospel, one that denies some of Jesus's own claims about himself and his own teachings. Why would anyone do that? Well, it's because doing so allowed the false teachers to create their own gospel, which would then fit their own preferences, their own agenda. The, the great Scottish New Testament scholar Ian Howard Marshall once wrote, it is all too easy for us to make a picture of Jesus which is congenial to our taste, but leaves out vital aspects of the New Testament presentation of him. That's precisely what these false teachers were doing in the church while claiming to be Christians. So rather than dying to themselves, their own desires, their own will, as Jesus said we must do in order to follow him, by instead creating a new version of the gospel, they could actually elevate themselves, elevate their own will for themselves and still claim to be Christians. It seemed like the best of both worlds, which is why a lot of people were breaking from the original teachings of Jesus and the apostles who, again, were actually there 
with Jesus. And instead, they're following these new variations on the message because it allowed them to change the parts of the gospel that made them feel uncomfortable. Right? That's exactly what people do today. But the only way that actually can work, particularly if you're going to try to be intellectually honest with Scripture at all, is if you can discredit at least some of what Jesus taught or, or some of his claims to be who he said he was. Because if he actually is who he says he is, then you have to take every single word that he taught as pure truth. However, if you can call into question his perfect divinity as God the Son come in the flesh, fully God and fully man, if you can convince yourself and others that any part of his identity or teachings are off even a little, then you can pick and choose the parts of his teaching that you want to keep and alter the parts that you want to change to fit your own inclinations. And so that's what these false teachers did. Uh, there's a compilation of first century historical writings called the Didache, which in English it means the, the teaching of the 12 apostles. And it's basically a summary uh, of the apostolic teachings that were used, they were compiled and used as a handbook uh, or a manual in the early church for new Christians as a guide for Christian living. And so to be clear, it's not biblical scripture, but it perfectly agrees with scripture. And it was used and referenced by many of the early church fathers like Eusebius and Athanasius and Origen, who all used it for what it was, simply a historical record of many of the apostolic teachings, including some of the surrounding events, some of which describe in detail the ongoing struggle in the early church between the true and false prophets. And so we can stand to learn some useful history there. Serenthus was teaching that the Christ was first manifested in Jesus when he was water baptized, but then left him before the crucifixion which meant Serenthus could deny that Jesus was fully God in the flesh and therefore discredit whatever parts of Jesus' teachings he wanted to because according to him, Jesus and the Christ were two separate individuals. So by this gospel, Serenthus could discredit Jesus' teachings and yet still claim to be a follower of the Christ. There were other variations among the Gnostics as well. One of the other leaders in the movement named Basilides, he taught that Simon of Cyrene, the guy that was forced to carry Jesus's cross, he taught that he was supernaturally transformed into Jesus's likeness and was then mistakenly crucified as Jesus Christ while the true Christ looked on which then explains Jesus' appearance for 40 days after the crucifixion because according to this version of the gospel, Jesus was never actually crucified, which also means he was never resurrected from the dead. You see, if we can, if we can take away just enough of what Jesus taught without discarding all of it, then we can customize the gospel to fit whatever agenda we choose, which is as rampant a practice in the church today, I'm afraid to say, as it was then. We have this tendency today to think that whatever uh, current cultural inclinations are trending in our society in this one tiny sliver of time that we happen to be alive in are so important to all of humanity 
that the unchanging, eternal Word of God that existed before time in any of us should be adaptable to suit our likings at this point in history. It is the very height of arrogance and ignorance, two things, in my opinion, that should never be allowed to exist together at the same time. I used to own a couple of construction businesses years ago, and we had a few employees over the years, and sometimes we'd hire uh, someone who was maybe young and particularly inexperienced. And once in a while, one of those young men would, would decide that he had come up with a better way of doing things than how we were doing them. And sometimes that new way of doing things uh, involved operating expensive and sometimes very dangerous equipment that we use to build houses with, right? All kinds of power tools and saws and heavy machinery and vehicles and so on. And there were a few occasions where after a couple of days on the job, they would very arrogantly explain to all of us why we'd been doing it the wrong way all this time, and then they would show us the better way. Keep in mind, these were inexperienced completely ignorant of the trade workers who were telling guys who had been doing that work their entire lives that they were doing it wrong and there was a better way. And invariably, when these new employees would refuse to do the work the way they were taught by their foreman, they would either end up damaging the equipment or hurting themselves, sometimes both. And I can't tell you how many times I sat down with guys like that after the fact and said, look, I'm okay with you being ignorant about this job because you've never done it before. And so ignorance is to be expected at some level. That's why there's a foreman here to teach you. So I'm actually okay with some ignorance. And yet sometimes we hire guys who are absolute experts, craftsmen in their field. And sometimes those guys, just to be honest, they can be a little bit arrogant about their work. And you know what? There's some grace for that because they're extremely good at what they do. So I'm actually okay with some arrogance. And so when it comes to ignorance and arrogance, here is my only rule at this company. You only get to pick one. <laughs> Ignorance or arrogance. I can deal with one or the other, but I cannot tolerate both of them together. So pick one, pal, and get back to work. It's completely understandable and acceptable that to one degree or another, we are all ignorant concerning God's word. I'm learning more and more and more and more about God's word every single day, and I expect and I hope it will be that way until I die. None of us knows everything about his word, and you know what? That's okay. What is not okay is when people who claim to be Christians, and particularly Christian leaders, in their own ignorance and yet with tremendous arrogance, they manipulate some of the most basic and foundational teachings of the apostles and prophets, even Jesus himself, to either gain popularity among the world, those who are hostile to the gospel as it is written, or to push their own agenda and create a following of their own. That was happening early in the first century church by those who wished to create a new following apart from the churches that were started by the apostles. That happened, as you know, early in our own country 
to justify slavery. And in fact, it happens today by those who are hell bent on forcing the church and the gospel to bow to a social agenda that opposes the gospel of Jesus Christ as recorded by those who were there. And so John's prescription is, first of all, hey, don't believe everything you hear. Secondly, he says, test those voices, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This was John's response to the specific heresies that were circulating in the church at the time that he wrote the letter, namely those from people like uh, Serenthus and Basilides that I mentioned earlier. So John is not saying this is the only test. As long as someone confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, then you can believe everything they ever say about the gospel. No, of course not. He's addressing a very specific claim that these false teachers were making at the time. And so we're going to come back to how we test the spirits at the end of this message as John revisits the subject later in the letter. But for now, uh, let's keep reading as John uh, now takes a break to encourage the people that he loves so much not to fear those who are spreading these false teachings. Let's read verse four. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's a great verse. John addresses the members of the church as little children. Again, uh, he does that seven times total, I think, throughout the letter, uh, which was not meant to be condescending as many would take it today. It was a term of endearment. In fact, uh, back in verse 1 when he refers to them as beloved, that's the ancient Greek word agapetos. It means they are dearly loved or well loved. And so over and over again as John issues these stern uh, warnings to the church, simultaneously he's expressing this tremendous affection and encouragement for these people. And that's what he's doing here in verse four, where he takes a moment right in the middle of this part of the letter to explain to them that they're not only greatly loved, but they're also not at the mercy of these false teachers. He says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, when it comes to these wolves in sheep's clothing that I'm warning you about, who are trying to mislead you and drag you away from the true gospel, he says, you are not helpless because you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. He's already overcome the world, but it even gets better than that. In John 16, Jesus said to his disciples in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus makes it clear that he had overcome the world, but he doesn't mention anything at that point about his disciples having overcome the world. And yet here in 1 John, John says, you are from God and have overcome them. In other words, you have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The difference is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Right when Jesus made his statement that he had overcome the world in John 16, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 hadn't happened yet. But now to the church, John says, you have the spirit of the living God living inside you now. 
So as children, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we too now have overcome the world by that same spirit of God who lives in us. It means we're no longer at the mercy of the enemy or the false teachings of those who serve that enemy. Because now, by the Holy Spirit inside of us, we not only have the power to withstand false teachers, but also the ability to discern what messages are false and what messages are true. Because look, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ that lives inside of us only testifies to the truth of Christ. Now, just to be clear, discernment doesn't necessarily mean that we do nothing and the answer will magically come to us, right? When we talk about these issues of doctrine and theology and what is true about the gospel, I will say, though, at times, especially in times of great persecution and danger for followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit will tell us what to say supernaturally in that moment, right? Jesus told his disciples in reference to persecution that when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So God will never hang us out to dry. He will never leave us defenseless when the message that we carry is being assaulted. But in the meantime, when we're not being actively pursued or persecuted, we are culpable for taking the time and effort to understand what the true gospel of Jesus Christ is and what it isn't. So God made his word. He made it available to us every single day. And yet how much time we actually spend in that word every day, that is up to us. Which means whatever inability we may face in overcoming false teachers and false teaching, whatever susceptibility there is in our hearts and minds to a deceptive message, it's only there because of what we have or have not done with his word in our lifetime because we've been enabled with supernatural understanding by his spirit within us if we choose to crack it open and read it and meditate on it. Jesus promised us in Matthew 28 that as we make disciples around the world by spreading the gospel, that he would never leave us. And yet he doesn't force himself upon us either. So look, uh, if you spend more time reading books and listening to other people talk about Jesus than you do reading his own words and listening to him directly talk to you you may be opening yourself up to the vulnerability concerning the many variations and distortions of the gospel that are so prevalent even in our culture today. I have a lot of people who come to me regularly who will ask me questions about a, a book they're reading uh, or a video they may be watching or recording they're listening to which uh, takes a particular position on some issue. And often those issues not only have the social ramifications, but deep theological ramifications as well. And they'll come to me and ask me, uh, you know, what does the Bible say about this same issue that I'm listening to in this recording or this video? And I just want to tell you, I, first of all, I love that, okay? I consider it a privilege, actually, that friends would ask me those kinds of questions, uh, besides which I'm a pastor and I'm a Bible teacher. So it's right for me to answer those questions as best that I can. But my point is simply this. 
if you're spending more time taking in the teachings of others than you are taking in the teachings of God's word, then you're not taking full advantage of what the spirit of God can do inside of you when you saturate yourself in prayer and in his word. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13, the apostle Paul said, the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Just go back and read verse 12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What things freely given us by God? Well, for starters, his word. But it doesn't do us a bit of good if we don't spend time with it. On the flip side, this is awesome. When you, when you do spend time in God's word, when you do spend time listening to the voice of the spirit within you, you're not only able to discern his will for this world and for your own life, because as Paul says, the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And again, he says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. That's the same spirit that lives inside of us, which means when you have the spirit of God living inside of you and you decide you're going to do his will for your life, there is nothing, there is nothing in this world that can stop you. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's finish this part of the letter for today, verses five and six. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So in this last part, of this section of the letter, John returns to the idea of knowing the difference between those who are teaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ and those who are distorting the truth. And so he cautions the followers of Jesus, rather than listening to these teachers who he says are of the world, he says, no, instead listen to us, the apostles, those who have the words of Jesus himself, because remember guys, we were there with him. John's saying only trust those who are truly teaching the words of God. Not the latest version of the gospel the world has embraced. And listen, that is the key here, okay? That is the key to knowing the difference between those who are teaching the one true gospel of Jesus Christ and those who are teaching nothing more than distortions of the truth. It shows up in how people who have solidly rejected Christ in their own lives, it shows up in how they respond to the message that is being taught. 
Because when you teach the gospel as it was written down by John, people are either convicted by it or disgusted by it. But either way, whether it's conviction or contempt, it always stirs the heart and mind, and it has been that way ever since John wrote it down. So that even today, when you share the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ, those who reject the message more often than not will claim that it is arrogant, presumptuous, closed-minded, intolerant, even bigoted. And yet the moment, the moment you change certain elements of that gospel message to make allowances for the inclinations of a secular, non-God-fearing, worldly culture, the moment you change the gospel just enough to allow for people to continue living any way that they want to live without any kind of judgment at all, what happens? We see it over and over and over again in our culture. All of a sudden, the world is just fine with our message. Those who reject Christ have no problem with our message. The ones who say, no, I don't believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They'll be perfectly fine with our new variation of the gospel. Why? Because it requires no one to change, to sacrifice, to leave behind, to give up anything, or to become something altogether new. You see, a gospel that requires nothing from us is worth nothing to us. It is completely innocuous. It affects no one while including everyone without changing anyone. So how do you know who's teaching the one and only true gospel of Jesus Christ from someone who's teaching a false version of that gospel? The answer is, if the gospel they're teaching requires nothing from you other than to believe something about Jesus, then run away as fast as you can because Jesus said, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple Luke 14, Paul said, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3, 8. Peter said, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 1 Peter 4, 19. And James said, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James 2.17, do we honestly believe that we can be followers of Jesus Christ without anything changing in our lives? And yet, listen, it's not just about behavioral modification. No, it's about total transformation. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You see, this is how we know who to listen to and who to ignore if the gospel that someone is teaching requires little to nothing of you other than to validate how you're already living. First of all, it will be popular among those who are, according to John, from the world. In fact, you might even be interviewed by Oprah. And when you are, she and the rest of the world will stand up and cheer you for your message. And yet not one single person will be changed by it. But when you hear a gospel preached 
and it cuts you to your soul. It shakes you at your core and challenges you to leave everything else in your life behind just so that you can follow Jesus Christ wherever he may lead you. Like the man in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Matthew 13, 46, when you hear that gospel preached. It's the one that John wrote down. When you hear that gospel preached, then you found something worth listening to. The apostle Paul wrote, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 through 25. There will always be people in this world who have their own take, their own version of the gospel, their own wisdom about God and religion and spirituality, and they will do everything they can to convince us in the church that we should follow their new take on the teachings of Christ. But look, the gospel of Jesus Christ only works if the message doesn't change. If it's a different story every time you hear it, then you're only building your faith on a shifting foundation and in the end I'm telling you that foundation will crumble beneath you. That's why John and the others wrote it down. Because they were there. In fact, in fact no one was closer to Jesus himself than John. And yet there were those in their own ignorance and still with great arrogance who would challenge even the apostle John, the beloved disciple, to his face with a new version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's nothing short of astounding to me and yet nothing has really changed in that regard. Today, we as followers of Jesus Christ have his spirit actually abiding, living inside of us. No one is closer to him than we are. We have firsthand knowledge of the message of Christ in here, inside of us. We have no need for someone with a new version of that message to teach us. Because the gospel cannot be improved. It cannot be altered. Some other version of it, it can't be forced upon us because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Hey, listen, this is our message. This is our creed. This is our truth. It has no equal. No other message can transform the lives of men and women regardless of their nation, tribe, worldview, culture, or community. 
So are we really going to allow those who are from the world masquerading as followers of Jesus Christ to hijack our gospel with a message that changes no one? We cannot, because look, we're not only recipients of the message, you understand we are the keepers of the message. We have a responsibility to both share it and defend it wherever we go. Don't allow yourself to be confused. Don't allow yourself to be misled. Don't allow yourself to buy into a message that is a distortion of the truth. It's just noise. Because at the end of the day, there's only one gospel. And it happens to be the one that John wrote down. That is the only one that can save this world. Let's pray.